it just continues. My, oh my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She's on punches right now. Hello there, everybody. Charles Hemmerker here. Welcome to another episode of Circling Sales Sports on Converge Media. This February 13th, as we continue to celebrate Black History Month here uh, on Converge. Uh, big episode, not only, as I say that every episode, but not only because of the <laughs> continued events throughout our sales sports teams, but an important announcement at the end of the video. So if this is the version that's already come out and you can skip ahead to the end and you want to hear that, I mean, feel free. Um, otherwise, uh, stay tuned for that um, if you're watching with us here live uh, when the show goes on at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So some big news. Sad that Bell can't join us this week, um, but the show goes on regardless. Some big news for just about everybody up and down the block. We're hitting that part of the year uh, where things start to really pick up. You know, I know that the Super Bowl just took place, but I put a tweet out on the Circle of Seattle Sports Twitter that the Seahawks are preparing for 2023. The Kraken are in second place in the Pacific Division. The Mariners, the Rain, the Seawolves, the Sounders are all in their respective preseason. Uh, sea Dragons as well. Uh, the Storm continue to add to free agency. So then you're just picking up. And the spring season is going to be incredibly busy. So I digress. We'll get right into it here. Uh, unfortunately, the Seahawks would go one for three at the NFL Honors. The NFL Honors taking place just, I believe, a night or two before the Super Bowl itself takes place. So uh, Geno Smith would win the Comeback Player of the Year award after a quarterback battle in training camp and the preseason. Geno was able to finish out the year, obviously, as a starting quarterback uh, with a 69.8% completion percentage, uh, completing those passes for 4,282 yards and 30 touchdowns against just 11 interceptions in 17 games, in addition to rushing for 366 yards and one score. Uh, just before I touch on uh, Tariq Woolen or Kenneth Walker III uh, for the other NFL awards that the Seahawks were nominated for, just to highlight here what Geno was able to do, because there was a lot of discourse um, about how, what did Gino come back from, you know, because typically when you think of this award, you think of an injury like a few years ago with Alex Smith um, or Joe Burrow last year, you know, it's in the very, you know, guidelines for this award from the NFL that if it's not just the injury itself that can play a factor, it's also poor performance the year before. And Gino, you know, from being a guy that was a starter in the, uh, in the Jets organization, wasn't able to pan out there, bounced from teams, was in the Giants, uh, a charger, and um, backing up Russell Wilson. I mean, 
his story has been nothing but miraculous. So this award is more than well earned. Um, and his colleagues, you know, push that sentiment. Anybody who, you know, doubts that, you just not thinking straight, you know, truthfully. But I digress. So we'll look over here towards Kenneth Walker the third and Tariq Woolen. Obviously, both of those two, uh, unfortunately, would lose their respective awards. Woolen loses Defensive Rookie of the Year to Sauce Gardner. Uh, just a small note on Tariq, well, so a few notes, Tariq Woolen. Uh, Woolen gave up less completions than Gardner, had a lower completion percentage against him, uh, gave up less yards, had a lower QBR, more interceptions, and tied for the league lead in interceptions. Um, had a, uh, yeah, lower QBR, uh, a defensive touchdown, more fumble recoveries, and a blocked field goal to add to that impressive year. I just think it's a little ridiculous, you know, uh, Brock Yord made a great point um, in talking about how as the year went on, Woolen sort of hype around that sort of thing might have died down a bit uh, as, you know, teams started to target him less and less. And Gardner and the Jets kind of gained more traction as the season went on, in addition to the fact that a lot of the voters for things like this are on the East Coast and don't typically watch Seahawks games anyway. So uh, it makes it, I understand why Wilma was number four it, despite having a good amount of statistics over Gardner, but I digress. And then for Walker, uh, Kenneth Walker III lost Offensive Rookie of the Year to Garrett Wilson. Walker had more first-place votes than Wilson, but because of the way the voting is uh, tallied up at the NFL Honors, uh, Wilson had about 53 second-place votes, and because of how they're spaced out, I think first-place vote gets you five points, the second place gets you three um, and a, a third place vote gets you one and, and like that. Uh, Wilson was able to have a higher point total than Walker and was able to take the award from him. Uh, Walker did not fumble at all this season, had 10 total touchdowns, 1,550 yards rushing while missing several games. Um, so again, I digress. It's, it's fine at the end of the day, you know, these awards are whatever. Uh, it's cool to see that the Jets were able to take both of those awards uh, for their rookies, you know, not a knock on their draft class whatsoever, but there was a case to be made that those Seattle rookies should have taken home awards. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Seahawks made the playoffs and the Jets did. So I guess there's something for you um, to hold that over. We'll wrap up with sort of league related news here on the 10th. Brady made his retirement official. Tom Brady officially fired his retirement uh, letter to the NFL and NFLPA to put comeback rumors to bed. So hopefully we're done with Tom Brady. We'll see about that. He's posting thirst traps on his Instagram now. Instagram now. I don't know what that's about. Um, I know he's. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Tom. Uh, on the twelfth, the Chiefs would win Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Uh, Patrick Holmes was named Super Bowl MVP just a short while after being named the regular season MVP. Uh, Rihanna killed halftime. I'll say that. Uh, but it, it, that was a great game between two great teams, and now the work continues uh, for our Seahawks to hopefully get to that sort of mountaintop next year and within the coming years. Uh, also, some other news that came out of that day, Derek Carr is likely to be cut by the Las Vegas Raiders. Carr tells the Raiders he won't accept any trade to any team after meeting with the Saints this last week. Uh, the Packers are open to trading Eric Rodgers. Uh, Green Bay will work with the quarterback to facilitate a trade, uh, if a request is made after his darkness retreat, uh, retreat, if you don't know what that is, uh, I know it sounds silly off the bat. Aaron Rodgers is going to go away for like a week into a cabin or something in the woods, 
and completely isolate himself and try to come to a decision on what he wants his future to be in the NFL. So that's interesting. Um, I can't knock the guy. I'm not Aaron Rodgers. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see that. But that is your league news around the NFL. So now we're going to switch gears over to the Mariners here. And before we get to news about the World Baseball Classic and such like that, uh, the Mariners unveiled something a little, uh, a little, not a little, pretty exciting. So uh, the announcement came last week that the Mariners are unveiling and launching the Fox Yard. So you can see there, there's a mock-up from the Mariners. Um, it is the building uh, that used to be the uh, Pyramid Brewing Company. They're also taking over the corner building that has the, or had, the great floors. Um, this is an extension of what we already know and have in Hatback Alley, uh, wait, no, Hatback Bar and Grill, pardon me, and Steelhead's Alley. Uh, so right next door to Steelhead's Alley will be Victory Hall. We'll show you some mock-ups here. As we continue on, Victory Hall will be a great gathering place. Um, it'll, it can host a bunch of things uh, like pre-games before Mariners, obviously, Seahawks games, anything else that's going on at Lumen, like rain games, like Sounders games and such. Uh, sea Dragons as well as also you can rent that space out, whether it be weddings or corporate events and such and such. That'll be Victory Hall here. We're going to continue to circle out, uh, cycle out through different mock-ups of it. That'll be Victory Hall. Uh, the other part, and perhaps the most exciting part of it, which the there was no renderings of, unfortunately, uh, was the space that was the great floors will become one of the EL1 and Mariners training centers, uh, which will have state-of-the-art technology, uh, I believe it's eight batting cages, an open space in the middle. Uh, there will be a Mariners retail location inside of the building. Uh, in a concession stand, but you'll have a training facility, uh, you know, that uh, I know Trey earlier today, uh, well, I apologize, that's tomorrow's show. She'll have uh, Buki Gates and a young man from Baseball Beyond Borders on. Uh, Baseball Beyond Borders can use that space. It will be a great partnership continuation uh, with EL1 Sports to have that sort of space right across from the ballpark. You know, maybe you go from training and then immediately after, you're able to uh, catch a Mariners game. So that is the box yard. The Victory Hall part of the box yard will be open by opening day, so by March uh, 31st. And the training center part of the uh, facility should be good to go in the summer of 2023. So that was a really exciting part. I know you know, most of what we do here is the, the player aspect and the team itself, but just wanted to highlight that as well because that's a really exciting uh, – addition right across the ballpark and it's something that shows the Mariners continued uh, commitment to revitalizing the Soto area um, that I, I was able to talk with a few Mariners uh, folks uh, at the soft launch of the Hatback Barn Grill in Silhouette's Alley and that was something that they talked about and something like the Boxyard is a key example of that moving forward. So now we'll move over to some other news relating to the team here. On the 10th, it was announced that 10 Mariners players are included on the World Baseball Classic rosters. Uh, these players are eligible to represent their teams uh, for Canada, Italy, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Panama, Nicaragua, Australia, and Great Britain. I say eligible because it doesn't guarantee that they're going to play, but they're on the roster. So it will be all of these players' 
first time representing their country at the World Baseball Classic. Left-handed pitcher Blake Townsend for Australia. Matt Brash uh, for Canada coming out of the pen. Diego Castillo for the Dominican Republic. Teoscar Hernandez for the DR. Julio Rodriguez for the DR. Harry Ford for Great Britain. Matt Festa for Italy. Milcar Perez for Nicaragua. Jose Caballero for Panama. And Eugenio Suarez for Venezuela. So this is pretty exciting to see. I know that a notable name left off of there is Luis Castillo. That was a topic for great debate. Um, it was something that was mentioned in the offseason and even brought up in the Mariners pre-spring training event. So I'm ultimately not upset with it. Obviously, I know that there was a lot of discussion, oh, why won't they let Luis pitch? Uh, this is terrible. They should grow an event like this. The key wording from, and it was in our article, um, recapping the Mariners pre-spring training event, Luis and the team came to a mutual decision that he wasn't going to pitch in there. Now, um, if you're a Mariners fan and you've been so for a good amount of time, you'll note, it, you'll note that Jerry DePoto will probably not have wanted that in the first place to have happened considering an injury that took place in 2017 in the World Baseball Classic for the Mariners roster. So, again, if it was mutual, totally fine. If the Mariners, like, banned him from doing it and Luis wanted to pitch, I will understand the upsetness there. But people are like, oh, the Mariners did this, this, and this. Luis himself, it was a mutual thing. Note the word mutual. So, uh, you know, again, some of the uh, this opinionated stuff, I got to get the whole story, right? And that's what we're here for is to give you that whole story so it's not just a one-sided thing. Um, and you're left thinking a way that you shouldn't have um, about our teams and about these different situations, right? So uh, still very exciting to see that. I will definitely have an eye on the World Baseball Classic to see that. The Dominican Republic team is absolutely stacked. The American team is pretty solid as well. There are a lot of great rosters, and it'll be a lot of fun to see an event like this taking place. So uh, I'm going to move on with MLB-related league notes here. On the 13th, earlier this morning, MLB announced some new rules. The ghost runner rule in extra innings is now permanent. There was a unanimous vote uh, that makes the runner on second base in the regular season at the start of extra inning. That'll be there all the time. Um, there's going to be some backlash to this. I understand that. But I think with trying to keep baseball exciting and continuing to grow it to audiences that previously didn't watch the game of baseball as well as trying to speed the game itself up, I think this move makes a ton of sense. You know, you put that runner on second base, it makes the likelihood of a run being scored a lot higher as well as making the game uh, length a lot shorter, right? So uh, it makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, I understand it. I understand why there's backlash to it. But again, I think that if you want to continue the growth of that game and want to keep it exciting for folks that haven't been able to get into the sport yet, something like this like, makes a lot of sense. This next part I don't necessarily like, and perhaps there's more meaning behind it. Position players pitching uh, will change this season. Position players will only be allowed to pitch under certain conditions in blowouts and in extra innings. Uh, I think about this most notably last year at the end of the season when Luis Torrens came in and pitched uh, an inning of relief and didn't look too bad doing so. And I think he actually got the save. He might have got the win. I believe he got the save for the Mariners uh, in that last series, I believe it was against, I think it was against the Tigers. Tigers or Oakland uh, in those last few games to end out the regular season. But I don't know. I, I don't know why that rule was instilled, but 
I think it, it's fun. It's fun for the game. It's funny. There's humor to it. And unless there was an injury that I missed, it seems to be great fun all around. When Pistons players, players are in, there's a great there are YouTube compilations of it. So I truly don't understand it. Maybe there's more to it. Feel free to let me know. But uh, yeah, I unfortunate to see that. So looking ahead, you know, this has been something that we've been saying for weeks and even months. But Mariners, pitchers, and catchers report in just three days, folks. Three days. Baseball's back. You know, I texted a bunch of friends of mine. I texted Bell. Uh, I texted Liv. As soon as the Super Bowl ended, I sent him uh, center field by John Fogarty. We're getting closer and closer to baseball. You know, we obviously love to cover all of our proteins here in the city of Seattle. But, you know, because of my dad, uh, baseball is just something that's always stuck around for me and always will stick around for me. Uh, so, you know, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for this to uh, even even outside of that, just as spring comes along, all of the different seasons and all the different teams that are going to come in and, and begin uh, their years. So that's it for the Mariners. We're going to head over to our Storm here, um, who made some deals official and continued to add their roster. So we're going to move over here. The team would sign guard Yvonne Turner. So this came the day after the Storm made the deals of Ferrantes and Kaya, Kaya or Kyla. Uh, Charles official. We had talked about those and we had mentioned those last week, uh, that those were deals that were rumored to happen. Uh, those deals are uh, made official now, so we won't go over them again. Uh, on the seventh, the team signed guard Yvonne Turner. Turner has appeared in 104 games over the course of four seasons in the league, the bulk of which came with the Phoenix Mercury from 17 to 19, averaging 5.2 points per game, 1.8 rebounds, 1.6 assists, and 0.6 steals per game. An injury cost her the 2020 season. She did return to the league in 2022, signing hardship contracts with three teams, seeing action in just nine games. Um, so Turner is playing with Storm teammate Ezi Magdagor on a team in Hungary, Sopran, after starting the offseason with Polkowice of the Polish EBLK. Uh, in the Euro League, she's averaging 7.8 uh, points, 5 rebounds, 3.8 assists in 12 Euro League games, including 8 with Sopran. So that is the first move that the Storm made. We're going to uh, acknowledge the second move. Uh, on the 8th, the team signed forward Teresa Plicens. Uh The details of that contract did not get released. Uh, Plicens, a 2022 WNBA champion with the Aces, was originally drafted by the Tulsa Shock in the third round of the 2014 WNBA draft. She's a nine-year veteran uh, playing five-plus seasons with the uh, – Oh, with a franchise in, the, in Tulsa that would get relocated to Dallas and become the Wings prior to 2016. Dallas would trade her to Connecticut on August 6th of 2019, where she stayed until signing a contract in the offseason of 2021 with the Washington Mystics. Over the course of her nine seasons in the league, Plysons has averaged 4.5 points and three rebounds in 218 total games, shooting 34% from the three with uh, 172 of her 350 career field goals coming from beyond the arc. Her best statistical season came back in 2017 when she averaged 7.7 .7 points and 4.3 rebounds in 34 me, games for the Wings. She nearly matched those averages in 2021 with the Mystics um, and contributed 4 points, 2.6 rebounds in, uh, per game in 31 uh, contests last season with Vegas. So before we get to a piece of news that caused 
some interesting uh, some interesting replies on Twitter. Uh, just to note, as the Storm continue to build their roster now, that you know they still got a lot of pieces to add. You could still add a point guard. You know, probably got to build the rest of the bench. You know, you still got to see if Gabby Williams is coming back and so on and so forth. Some people are wondering if Tina Charles will come back. I highly doubt that. Um, but I talked about this last week as well, and agree with me or disagree with me or call me crazy, you know. But I really think that with the flyers that the Storm are taking on some of these players that are either coming off of injuries or maybe haven't gotten the chance that they deserve in the WNBA, I think that Seattle can be a scrappy, tough, competitive, pain-in-behind kind of team that very well could scrape, uh, scratch themselves into a playoff spot. You know, I'm not going to say it's going to be a top one, but I think that Seattle's going to hang around this season. Obviously, you look at the name on the banner below me, and, you know, with Brianna Stewart leaving, I think, all right, they're lucky to dust. What, what, what can they accomplish now? This is a new era. They're rebuilding. And yes, this is a rebuild because you only had two players on the roster to begin this. But I want you to remember the player that Jewel Lloyd is and what she's able to contribute. The young rising star that Ezzy Magdabor is and the growth that she's seen over the last few seasons. The presence that Mercedes Russell can bring as she wasn't really able to play much of at all last season. And we thankfully got reports from our friend Rowan that she should be able uh, to go. She's good to go for the upcoming season. So you've got two solid bigs in Magma Gore and Russell, an incredible, incredible player on both sides of the ball in Jewel Lloyd. And you've got several players that this team has been adding through the offseason that they're taking flyers on and that likely just need a chance to prove themselves. And I really think that the Storm roster can battle for that. We can really uh, look back at that in the later stages of the season and see how that ended up. But I, I really, I believe in that. And I really do think that just seeing the sort of players that they're bringing in um, and the opportunities that are going to be given with essentially nothing being promised on this strong team. So there were those two moves in Plysons and Turner. And then on the eighth, there was an announcement made, a sort of uh, release. The team is valued at a record break of $115 million. This is a WNBA record, not only a WNBA record, uh, but also sort of a record in women's sports. Uh, this was announced following the sale of minority ownership stakes to help finance construction of the team's upcoming practice facility, uh, said to be done in 2024. Back in 2008, the franchise was valued at only $10 million. The Storm's investment in a purpose-built facility, similar to moves such as the Las Vegas Aces and in the NWSL, the Kansas City Current, adds an asset to the franchise and a mark of permanence for both the team and the league. Expansion fees uh, in the National Women's Soccer League leapt from $2 million to $5 million in 2020, and then to about $50 million, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, for the franchises that are set to be awarded to groups in Boston and the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, this got some uh, sort of backlash on Twitter because uh, a certain Seattle account tweeted that they – wish they had a damn basketball team back. And it's very important to note that we have a basketball team, a pro basketball team in this city. I understand that you might not like it, whatever BS excuse you may have for it, but you have to remember that the Storm are the most accomplished team in this city by league titles. They have four. Nobody else is within, well, the Storm are with, pardon me, the Sounders are within two of them. But still, that's twice as many. Uh, and they've been a force in the WNBA for years, 
having some of the most accomplished of the NBA players put on the Storm jersey. They're, you know, they're trailblazers, the organization itself, not the Portland trailblazers. Uh, but respect needs to be put on this team. That's the bottom line. That's the point. You know, whenever I hear that, oh, we need a basketball team back in the city, check yourself, especially around me, because that's not right. We've had a basketball team in the city. And you know myself, you know, with all we do here at Circling Sales Sports, we're going to be very excited when the announcement uh, that the city of Seattle is getting an NBA team back uh, is announced. But we cover all of our teams here. We give them all the same respect. And the Storm deserved that respect of any of these teams that you're given. So want to note that because we got some really weird replies um, when we were talking about that. And we mentioned this value uh, this announcement because, again, this should be celebrated. You know, this is something that should be celebrated. Uh, those people that tweeted out something about Sue Bird, and they're going to tweet something like this. Remember what you're doing. Think about that. Think about that headspace. Anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, a league note, though, this is, you know, we're talking about the Aces and their facility. Um, and there's all this talk about super teams in the WNBA, you know, with Candace Parker heading to Las Vegas, then getting also Alicia Clark, the Liberty, and, and Stewie, and Courtney Vandersloot. Uh, on the 8th, it was announced that Las Vegas is under investigation by the WNBA for circumventing the salary cap. They've been accused of making under-the-table payment offers to current and former players, as well as the issue with trading the Erica Hamby. I don't know if we touched on the Erica Hamby issue, so I'm going to mention that. Uh, the Aces traded Hamby to the Los Angeles Sparks immediately after they found out that Hamby was pregnant. So, so Las Vegas has got some stuff that they got to handle. Um, it'll be really interesting. We're going to keep an eye on that. We're going to keep that in our league notes as soon as we can either get developments about that. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty big news, and that's a pretty big issue for a team that looked to be one of the two that were going to be destined to be in the WNBA Finals this upcoming season. So this is normally where we would transfer over to our Seattle Sounders news, but because there was really nothing that came out of the Sounders they, they had a few trainings over the past week, but there wasn't really much going on. Um, the only thing is we have this upcoming friendly uh, between the Sounders and Louisville City, February 18th versus Louisville City. We still don't have any details on that. Uh, we just know that Seattle is hosting that friendly, uh, essentially to wrap up their preseason before the regular season kicks off on February 26th. Yeah, that's, that's what we've got coming up next for you. Uh, make sure to Keep an eye on us on our socials to know when that's happening, to get updates on that when we learn about that. Uh, I guess the other piece of news would be that the Sounders are releasing their, uh, what's the word, alternate kit, I apologize, on the 15th. We've shown you some mock-ups for that uh, on our socials, so be sure, again, this is a great opportunity to go take a second and check out our socials because of the fact that this is, we, we get a lot of that news out immediately. And when it happens, as opposed to getting this on Mondays, which, you know, we love you guys checking us out on Mondays. Um, but just on that scroll you saw, be sure to check out our socials as well to see that in real time and get updates as we get them as well. Um, but, yeah, that was about it for our Sounders. So uh, we will now switch over to our Kraken, who are coming off of the All-Star break. You know, there was a lot of fun uh, posting that happened over the All-Star break. Um there was excitement for the team to get back into play. Uh, and then the team ran into a three-game losing streak, unfortunately. So um, 
They got back on the seventh to face the New York Islanders. A four to nothing loss, cleared the game. A centerman, Matty Paneers, one shot, two hits, and one takeaway, usually with the shutouts. We don't put any player in the game, but I'm trying to be nicer about that. But yeah, Seattle get shut out in their first game back from the All-Star break, kind of a rude awakening. It was also Will Borgen's 100th NHL game, so kind of unfortunate for Will to uh, stumble into that one, but uh, you know, still, still an accomplishment to note. On the ninth, the team traveled to New Jersey to face the Devils. Things were close. They had a 2-1 to deficit to try to overcome late in the third period, but an empty net goal would end things and all hope for Seattle. Our player of the game defenseman Adam Larson. Uh, the Swedish defenseman had one goal, one point, a one plus minus, four shots on goal, three hits, and two blocks. So Lars continues to be a stellar part of that top defenseman pairing for the Kraken. Seattle was unable to get that done, unfortunately, uh, to get the win for the former Devil in Larson. Um, on February 10th at the New York Rangers, a six to three loss. This one was just, just ugly. Seattle was able to battle back a little bit as the third period went on but ultimately fell to the Rangers um, and were unable to complete, uh, even get close to completing that comeback attempt, ultimately giving up the empty netter to make it 6-3. to three. Our player of the game for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Bjorkstrand, one goal, one assist, two points, two shots on goal, and one takeaway in the loss there. So they would hit a three-game skid, and JT Brown, I believe it was actually in the Islanders game, he said that, you know, it's okay to lose a few games here and there, but this stretch was important. This road trip was important because of how tight the Pacific Division race is and how, you know, going on skid could really knock you down a few pegs. Seattle was able to stop the bleeding on February 12th at the Philadelphia Flyers, a 4-3 to win. Philly would get a late goal uh, on a shorthanded, a shorthanded goal to put them within one. Thankfully, they would not be able to get a goal uh, with their goalie pulled. Our player of the game uh, for Jaden Schwartz. Schwartz contributing two goals, two points, a one plus minus, and five shots on goal. This win would also be Ryan Donato's 300th NHL game. Um, our player of the week, or my player of the week, uh, is defenseman Vince Dunn. Dunn had three assists, three points, seven shots, 12 hits, and four blocks over the case over the course of the past week. And again, you know, we talked about Larson in that Devils game, but that top defenseman pairing of Dunn and Larson has been incredible. Uh, and I would really, really like this is another campaign uh, to get Vince Dunn paid and get him an extension. So just looking over the past three games as I've got, I've got this, I don't know, we're gonna put it out here. This is the Black History Month uh, Hyphenite uh, logo that was designed by, by Ollie G at, uh, the South Ender, all one word, T-H-E-S-O-U-F-E-N-D-E-R on Instagram. That's the artist that designed this logo here. Got the hat on and I've got my sticker on the laptop here. Um, but yeah, the, the past three games were unfortunate. You know, it's a tough road trip. The Islanders are a good team. They had just added Bo Horvat. Horvat scored his first goal as an Islander in that game. Uh, the Devils, the Devils are one of the top three teams in the NHL. So going in there into their building and beating them is no easy feat. And Seattle got back in it there. Just unfortunately, the Devils got the two goals on power plays because Seattle was not disciplined enough and could not stay out of the box, um, putting out their near league worst penalty kill out again and again and again. Uh, the Rangers are a solid team. They had just added Vladimir Tarasenko, and Tarasenko scored his first goal as a Ranger against the Kraken. You can see a trend here, right? 
Um, the Flyers, the Flyers are a very middling team. They're a very young team, so figuring things out. But this is a game they should have won. Seattle gave up a power play goal in the first period, and they think, "Oh man, here we go again." But they're they able to wake up and figure things out through the second period and third period. Uh, and now they have to finish this road trip out against Winnipeg here tomorrow. And Winnipeg is one of the better teams in the NHL as well. So it's not an easy stretch, and I understand that. I'll cut them some slack. But a lot of the issues that I continue to be frustrated about are issues that aren't getting adjusted. They're issues that aren't being fixed. They're obvious issues like taking dumb penalties and sending your penalty kill out again and again and again. Your power play continues to struggle. Uh, I know that they had hit a really bad snag. They were like 10% on the power play in the last 11 games or so. Jared McCann scored a power play goal. Uh, I believe it was in the Rangers game, yeah. Uh, but the power play continues to struggle, right? There were some of the key defensive mistakes that we saw throughout the earlier course of the season and throughout basically all of last season that took place in the Rangers game and the Islanders game. So, again, I understand that they're coming off of break, but you're in a position now that you want to keep if you want to make the playoffs and be considered a serious team in the NHL. But isn't that such a fortune as a second-year team the second year as an expansion team to be in a spot like that. It's incredible. But you have issues that you need to fix and you need to address and you need to do that before they grow or they get worse or you take a somewhat further down the standings. So anyway, rent included. Uh, we'll go to some injury news here. Not so fun. Um, the seventh, well, we'll get to Berkey first. Berkey on the eighth uh, was placed on injured reserve with a lower body injury. He is considered week to week. Uh, Ron Francis was not sure when we'd get him back. They'd like to see him back sooner than later. But as of right now, he's considered week to week. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate for the team's leading point getter. He was the, leading, uh, the team's leading point getter. Vince Dunn might have overtaken him uh, in total points. But still unfortunate to lose Berkey for any point in time uh, due to an injury. Um, on the 7th, uh, the – well, that's the day of the game. On the 6th, rather – uh, in the practice before the Islanders game, we would find out that goaltender Chris Rieger is traveling with the team and participating in team drills. So we, we've reported this. We've said this on our Twitter. Again, this is a great example for you to go and follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, it's at Serpent Sports. We can't fit the whole thing on Twitter. Um, but we've reported for months now that Chris Rieger has been out practicing, usually by himself and with uh, goaltender coach Steve Briere. Uh, usually technical assistant coach Matt Lark is out there as well, um, has been practicing getting back up his strength after tearing his ACL in the summer uh, with Team Canada. We've reported that for weeks now. People are like, oh, he's back. How long has he been? Is this the first time? I'm like, no, he's been out there for weeks. We've been reporting this. He's been practicing before morning skates and before team practices. Um, he was getting more and more involved over the last few weeks, and now he's actually tra uh, traveling with the team. This has been a discussion that a lot of fans have not been ready for, is that what's going to happen with the goalies um, once he's ready to go? Is Martin Jones out after having a really great start to the year but struggling uh, recently in 2023? There's no way Philip Grubauer is going anywhere, considering one, considering his contract is immovable, um, and two, how great he's been playing since the uh, since the calendar year of 2023 has started. Right, so it's it's Jones or Drieger, and I just putting this out there now. I bet. Jones is out. I have to think that considering his age, considering the contract he's on, 
He was only signed to be a placeholder until Dreamer was back anyway. I know people, you know, he had a great start for the year, racked up a good amount of wins. Uh, he played solid for what Seattle wanted him to be, and that's all he needed to be. But at the end of the day, he was just a stock guy. He was just a stock guy. So it should be Chris Dreger here back again uh, for the Kraken soon. But that, you know, technically that decision still has to be made. As a corresponding move to Berkey being placed on injured reserve on the 8th, like we mentioned, the team activated defenseman Justin Schultz from the injured reserve list, and he's been playing ever since. So that's a good piece of news if you want to take that. Uh, just unfortunate to lose Berkey, but great to have Schultz back back in the lineup as well, uh, which does, you know, you know that people were excited to get Jacob Megna. We talked about him last week with the trade that the Kraken made, um, but Megna has now slotted to a healthy scratch. So we're going to move over here to our up next. Um, the team sits at a 30-win, 18-loss, 5-overtime loss record. They are second in the Pacific Division at 65 points. Looking ahead, the team plays three games over the course of next week, two at home. February 14th at the Winnipeg Jets is a 5 p.m. Pacific time puck drop. Uh, February 14th, pardon me, 16th at the, uh, versus the Philadelphia Flyers at home. They just played Philly on the road. They'll come and play them back at home. Uh, is a 7 o'clock start, so Seattle will look to make it 2-0 over the Flyers after beating them for the first time in franchise history yesterday. And then to wrap up the week, February 18th versus the Detroit Red Wings is a 7.30 p.m. puck drop. Uh, and that game against the Red Wings is actually when, uh, in warm-ups, the team rolled on their special edition Black History Month Hockey is for Everyone jerseys uh, with this logo on it. So that'll be really exciting to see, and I'm really excited to see our photographer for the night there on site, Liv Lyons, get great shots of those warm-ups and to see those great warm-up jerseys. So um, merchandise for this, if you're looking for this logo, uh, they've got stickers, they've got patches, they've got pins, they've got, I'm not wearing my shirt today, no, um, and a hoodie. Uh, the Seattle Kraken team stores got them at all their locations. Uh, they will have uh, pucks with the logo on it at the game itself. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm not trying to plug, I mean, a sponsorship would be great. Um, but just wanted to note that there. If you're like, hey, I like his hat. Anyway, we're going to move on to our oil rain here. The oil rain had a busy week as well. Uh, on the 7th of the month, they would announce a partnership, a rain Olympic Lyon uh, and Club America partnership altogether. This unique agreement between three major actors in women's soccer around the world will strengthen the existing links between the clubs and develop new collaborations in various fields. They quote from the press release. So effectively, what this seems to be uh, for these three clubs is a partnership to help grow the game of women's soccer, to help grow you know, that, whether that be on the professional level, as the clubs themselves are, for their respective academies. Uh, I know that I believe it's Angel City FC and Tigris have a partnership and there are several others in the works as well. Uh, the first access that will be developed around aspects related to women's professional teams uh, with the sharing of knowledge and skills between the various staffs of the three clubs, exchanges of information on recruitment, scouting networks and the organization of friendly games. Uh, the inaugural friendly match uh, symbolizing this new partnership is scheduled for Saturday, February 25th at Starfire Stadium between the Rain and Club America. So we have an up next to look at a sort of preseason matchup for the Rain. Look forward to we'll see you there, excuse me, at Starfire for that on the 25th. Uh, when asked if there was the possibility, excuse me, 
of there being a friendly between the Reign and Lyon. There wasn't a clear answer on that from uh, the different uh, representatives in the press conference uh, for this announcement. So I imagine there will be, but there wasn't a clear definition that we can give you at this time. So that friendly that we mentioned will provide fans with the opportunity uh, to visit the Reign's new training site for the first time, as you, if you didn't know, if you don't follow our socials. Uh, the Reign have been training down in Starfire. They have some offices there as well. So great to see a sort of established training facility for the Reign. Um, those tickets have already gone on sale. There will be merchandise there available to purchase at the event, including a limited edition scarf to commemorate the partnership between all three clubs. A second level of collaboration will be set up between the academies embodied by exchanges on the organization of the structures, the strategies, and the techniques of the training between the educational teams, immersion courses, as well as invitations on the youth tournaments. Finally, on the non-sporting side, there will be synergies uh, that will be activated around joint communication, campaign on the values of sport, exemplary, exemplary and transmission to young people, sporting excellence, and certain CSR themes. The sales and marketing teams will also share their networks and international partnership opportunities. So again, this largely just seems to be a great opportunity to continue to grow the game of women's soccer, uh, have these friendly matches against each other, try to continue growth in the academies as well. So there was that announcement. On the 8th, we found out that midfielder Jess Fishlock was called up to the women's, uh, the Wales women's national team for the upcoming Pinatar Cup. The Pinatar Cup is an invitational women's association football tournament held in March in San Pedro del Pinatar, uh, a region of Murcia, Spain. In the first edition that was held back in 2020, it was contested by Iceland, North Ireland, Ireland, goodness, I apologize for my Ireland roots uh, for that botch, Scotland and Ukraine. The tournament is organized by the company called IAST Sports, which is originally from Slovakia. So best wishes. Uh, to Jess in that tournament. Uh, and then finally, 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 the end of the schedule was announced uh, the same day on February 8th. We finally found out all of that sort of information after waiting and waiting and waiting. I know our friend Jen Williams was unable to plan one of a few trips to see the right play because of this taking place, because of the delayed schedule, but we finally have it after this long wait. So. Let's get into it. Um, so here's the first, we'll, we'll go through it here. The NWA schedule has 28 matches total between the regular season and Challenge Cup, 14 at home and 14 on the road. I apologize, you should have me on this. Uh, the schedule was made in order to minimize matches taking place during the World Cup this summer. Uh, the Seattle versus Portland doubleheader will take place on June 3rd at Lumen Field. Both the 2023 regular season and 2023 Challenge Cup will appear across CBS sports platforms, including the CBS television network, CBS sports network, and Paramount Plus. So if you wanna watch the rain, uh, and you're not going after every single game in our season ticket holder, or you wanna watch them on the road, Paramount Plus is what you wanna have. That's what helps us out a lot of uh, away games. But thankfully we have Rough and Pebble pump for, pub for that. So if you wanna watch the away games, or you're unable to make them on the living field and you're closer to Ballard, or you just like to experience Rough and Tumble pub, make sure you head to Rough and Tumble pub in Ballard to watch those away matches. That's where we'll be for those um, as well. So let's get into the meat of the schedule. Uh, it starts on Sunday, March 26th against the Washington Spirit in Washington at 1 p.m. 
Then Saturday, April 1st, a 4.30 p.m. start at New York, New Jersey, Gotham. The Rain will play their first home match of the season on Saturday, April 15th versus the San Diego Wave, which is a 7 o'clock start. Then they head over to the first Challenge Cup matchup of the year on Wednesday, April 19th at Angel City FC with a 7 o'clock kick. Um, the return home Saturday, April 22nd uh, versus the Chicago Red Stars for a 12.30 start. Uh, Saturday, April 29th on the road at Racing Louisville with a 4.30 start. Another Challenge Cup matchup at home. May 3rd, uh, 7 o'clock start versus Angel City. Another home game just three days later on Saturday, May 6th versus the Houston Dash at 7 o'clock. Sunday, May 14th, uh, a noon start uh, at the Carolina Courage. That's noon Pacific time. A two-game stretch here. Uh, Sunday, May 21st at home versus New York, New Jersey, Gotham at 3 o'clock start. Saturday, May 27th, 12.30 start versus Angel City FC. Another Challenge Cup matchup on the road here, May 31st. Um, oh, wait. Boop. May 31st uh, at San Diego Way. That's a 7 o'clock start. Saturday, June 3rd, that's the Portland versus Seattle doubleheader. The rain at the afternoon window, a 5 o'clock start versus the Portland Thorns in that doubleheader. Uh, a few days later on Saturday, June 10th, they will play at home versus the Kansas City Current. That's a 7 o'clock start. On my birthday, Saturday, January 17th, January, June 17th, I apologize. A 5 o'clock start on the road in Houston against the Dash. Saturday, June 24th, 7 o'clock start at the San Diego Wave. Another Challenge Cup matchup Wednesday, June 28th. Uh, at 7 o'clock, 7.30 start at Portland. Saturday, July 1st at home versus Racing Louisville at 12.30. Friday, July 7th at 4 o'clock at the Orlando Pride. Um, Two back-to-back -back Challenge Cup games, and they wrap up the Reigns Challenge Cup schedule uh, before the tournament, that is. Friday, July 28th at 7 o'clock versus the San Diego Wave. And then Sunday, August 6th uh, versus Portland at 3 o'clock. So that wraps up the Challenge Cup there. Um, um, and then Friday, August 18th, continuing out the regular season, 5 o'clock at the Kansas City Current. Sunday, August 27th, 5 o'clock at Angel City. Rain return home Sunday, September 3rd, a 3 o'clock start versus the Orlando Pride. They head back on the road Saturday, September 16th, a 7.30 start at Portland. Two away uh, home games, pardon me, the last two home games of the regular season. Sunday, October 1st versus the North Carolina Courage at 5 o'clock. And then Friday, October 6th, 7 o'clock versus the Washington Spirit. They will close out their regular season on Sunday, October 15th at 2 o'clock at the Chicago Red Stars. So uh, we've cycle, we'll cycle again here through the regular season. If you need to look at that, you can feel free to pause on that. And then here is the Challenge Cup uh, matches for the rain in the 2023 season, uh, which takes place now during the course of the regular season as opposed to being a sort of preseason tournament uh, in years past. So. It's very exciting to be able to have the schedule out finally. It makes our planning much easier for things like that, especially with overlap in certain games. But just to get back to it, you know, get back to it, we were at training on the 10th last Friday uh, to see the team out there. Unfortunately, uh, not having those seven players with their respective national teams for the She Believes Cup. But and I do talk about something related to that. But uh, good to see someone that really stuck out to me was Elise Bennett. Seeing Elise Bennett out there, she looked great, whether it was physically, 
um, or just throughout the different things that the Rain did throughout training. <laughs> really excited to see Elise Bennett on this club in 2023. Now, I've mentioned the Street Leafs Cup. We hit league news here. What's happening with Team Canada? Um, if you follow some of our Rain players, or basically all of any of our Rain players on social media, many of them shared uh, posts related to what happened to Team Canada as teammates Quinn and Jordan Heitzema shared. Uh, despite winning gold at the Tokyo Olympics, players on Canada women's national team are still seeking equitable and sustainable conditions. Ahead of the Sheba Leafs Cup, a player, the players took strike against uh, Canada soccer, taking collective action over pay inequity and funding cuts that significantly affect their ability to prepare for the World Cup in July. After just one day of that strike, uh, it was called off as a joint statement from the players detailed that Canada soccer considered steps that could result in those individual players at the camp paying millions of dollars in damages. Uh, that's troubling because, well, in, in addition, despite players playing in 17 matches over the course of 2022, they have not received any compensation at all from Canada Soccer for their work last year and have earned significantly less than their male counterparts in previous cycles. So basically, think about this. You're going to work. For the course of the year, you do not get paid for your work, and you've already been earning less than your counterparts in previous pay periods. I mean, that's it's really messed up what's going on with Canada soccer. I know several of the players, obviously Jordan Heitema and Quinn, uh, other players around uh, like Christy and Sinclair have mentioned that they're basically being forced to play these matches. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how this develops for the strike itself. Um, you also want to see much, much better, that doesn't need to be said, uh, from Team Canada uh, in this situation, but it's, it's pretty stunning to see that this is even taking place. So again, we'll, we'll keep you updated with this as it continues to develop and continues to go on in our leading note segments um, going forward. Thankfully, on the bright side, we do have a, a match to look forward to. Uh, February 21st versus Club, 25th, pardon me, versus Club America. We finally have a friendly match to look over for our reign. Uh, before they begin their regular season. And we know when the regular season starts. So that's great to finally know that and finally prepare for that. We head over to our Seattle Seawolves here who closed out their preseason with a scrimmage. It was originally sort of looked at as a preseason match before the match kicked off. Uh, and a few hours before I learned that it was just a scrimmage match. Uh, so the Seawolves would hand it to Seattle Rugby Club, beating them 49 to nothing in 40 minutes of play. They only played a half of rugby. Uh, we're able to score 49 points. Our player of the game, uh, captain and number eight, uh, Rickard Hadding, Hadding scored two tries on the day um, in the saddle. It uh, looked rusty at first to begin things. You know, they were trying to get passes together, couldn't really string things together, but just a little bit in, uh, they were able to get going and able to kind of find the stride, especially as we reached the 40-minute mark of the match. After that scrimmage had ended, uh, both teams kind of split into uh, split squads. I'm sorry to use the word split twice. Um, and demonstrated lineouts and passing drills for the fans that were in attendance. So that was kind of cool to see. It's obvious that Seattle Rugby Club and the Seawolves have a nice, solid connection to each other. Um, but that helped wrap up their preseason. And again, I just want to uh, state my excitement for the Seawolves as their regular season approaches. You know, this is a team that play well throughout the course of the regular season. You know, I would have been happy with the way they're seeing ahead mathematically before we found out uh, of the suspensions of teams like LA and like Austin. 
Uh, and then they made it to the playoffs. And then they were able to win their playoff matches, including a road match, and then go to the MLR title and put up a fight against New York. Um, and then they added a bunch of great pieces, young pieces and established pieces over the course of the offseason that just make this team look better. And you have to wonder when things really, they find their stride, who's going to stand in their way. Again, this is the preseason, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but all signs are positive for the Seawolves team. So uh, speaking of New York, Seattle's first game of the season, first game of the regular season is February 18th versus the New York Ironworkers at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. That is at Starfire Sports. This match will be broadcast, I believe it's on Fox, um, Fox Sports uh, that day. I know it's being broadcast nationally, but if you want to watch it, you don't have that. Or just the easier way to find it is if you look up the rugbynetwork.com, they have all of the MLR matches streaming every game that helped us out a lot on the away matches at, well, not at, the rugbynetwork.com. So we will now move over. Over the last few weeks, we haven't had any uh, Sea Dragons. They've just been quiet. They've been in the XFL hub down in Texas preparing for the start of the XFL season. Uh, we do have some news finally. Um, oops. Oh. That's a problem. Uh, on the 10th, it was, the CU Dragons had their official roster released. So, oh, there it is. Uh, the ninth, pardon me. The team released their 51-man roster uh, for the 2023 season. Some notable names on there. Uh, so now we can finally go over that and learn their RC Dragons. So uh, starting out with the quarterbacks and running backs, uh, quarterbacks, Ben DiNucci and Steven Montez obviously round that out. But Harrison Frost joins the group. Uh, including now we look at Morgan Ellison, uh, TJ Hammonds, Brendan Knox, and Charlie Tauvalpeo. Uh, around out the running backs here, we move over to our pass catchers on the wide receiver spot. Obviously, Josh Gordon uh, is the big name to watch. Jawan Green, Blake Jackson, Jacor Pearson, Jalen Red, Jordan Bessie, and Damian Willis round out the pass catchers of the group. Interestingly enough, there was no tight end listed on the roster as a tight end. Maybe they uh, – I'm not, I'm not too sure how that will go, but there was no tight end or fullback listed on the roster as those respective positions. They could be under different positions, but that's, they weren't listed that way. We move over to our offensive line, uh, Tian Karoma, Michael Manet, Chris Owens, Jared Thomas, Paul Grattan, Liam Jimmins, Barry Wesley, Javon Latuli, and Ryan Pope line up the big hogs up front for the offensive line to protect one of those quarterbacks, whether it is Danucci or Steven Montez. We flip over to the defense on the defensive line. Austin Paolu, uh, Daniel Joseph, Nico Lalos, PJ Hall, Trayvon Hester, Antoine Jackson, Sama Pama, former University of Washington Husky, obviously follows us on Twitter, so what's up, Sama? Uh, and Elijah Ponder. We move over to our backers, our linebackers, Jordan Evans, Clarence Hicks, who's pictured here, uh, Cesar Skipper, Trey Walker, and Emmanuel Smith. We go over to our cornerbacks, guys who are going to try to create a sort of no-fly zone here in our safeties. Cornerbacks, Antoine Brooks, Quinterio Cole, Shabari Davis, Regesterman Ferris, Chris Jones, Zafir Kelly, Lyndon Stephens, Bryce Thomas, Bryce Thompson, pardon me, and Mikel Wright as well as the safeties, Elijah Holder and Sharif Miller. You are reading that right. There's only two listed safeties on the roster. So that might be a problem. Uh, we look over to our special teams here to round out our roster. Uh, our kicker will be Dominic Eberly, our long snapper, Thomas Fletcher, and our punter, Cameron Nizialek. So 
That is your 2023 51-man roster for our Seawolves. So they're preparing for their season opener in just a few days, actually, on Sunday. We'll get to that when we get to our up next. But it's really interesting to see, you know, Montez and uh, Danucci obviously stay as the quarterbacks. I'm really excited on Brendan Knox. Morgan Ellison was the one that you saw pictured there. Obviously, Josh Gordon, everybody's excited about Josh Gordon. I know a lot of people have been like, where are the Josh Gordon Seawolves at the Sea Dragons jerseys at? Um, Jacor Pearson, though, and Jalen Red, they interest me as well. Offensive line is going to be key. You know, you look at look at the two teams in the Super Bowl, right? The Chiefs and the Eagles have great offensive lines. So being able to protect your quarterback, be able to set the run, that'll be a big deal. The defensive line, uh, great to see guys like P.J. Hall, uh, Nico Lalos down there, Samapama, again, University of Washington guy that actually follows us. That's great to see. Jordan Evans will be exciting at the linebacker spot. Some interesting names on the cornerback list. Uh, Lennon Steffens uh, was a Seahawk at one point. You know, Anton Brooks is there. Michael Wright, uh, I believe he's an Oregon guy. He's the Oregon. Only having two safeties is an interesting look, uh, just, you know, in case of injury or something else like that. And then Dominic Everly was a signing that a lot of people were excited for as well when that was announced. So great to actually have an idea of what our roster looks like going forward, uh, especially considering that the first game of the season is this Sunday. So the first game of the XFL season for our Sea Dragons is February 19th at the DC Defenders. That's a 5 p.m. Pacific time start, and that game will be on ESPN. So uh, if you're looking for a place to find that, luckily ESPN will have that. makes that a lot easier for us to find. So uh, we're going to sort of get towards our closing here um, as we go over to our Seattle Star of the Week. There was an easy decision for me this week with Geno Smith winning the Comeback Player of the Year Award. I, I think we might have had this when the season ended where we did our season review, but for him to win the award and to really put the cherry on top of an excellent year for Smith, uh, just a total 180 of what he's dealt with for the majority of the season, being the guy that led the Seahawks to the playoffs, a guy that had the locker room in the palm of his hand. Uh, just great to see that ultimately uh, the year that he had. And he's going to get paid, you know, when we get to how much he's going to get paid, that's his, an, an issue in and of itself. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to talk about as the uh, offseason rolls on, especially with the Super Bowl already finishing up. Uh, but Gino had a great year. Bottom line, Gino had a great year. So now that announcement I talked about, uh, normally this would be where we wrap up the show, but we do have an announcement. Uh, some of you might have seen the accounts on Twitter or you saw that I had the announcement sort of brought up where I was winking and talking about minor league teams. Um we're launching CSS Futures, which is certainly Seattle Sports Futures, covering, as you can see above me, the minor league teams and affiliates of our pro teams here, of our eight pro teams here in the city of Seattle. Not all of them have affiliates, but teams like the Mariners and the Kraken um, have those respective affiliates. The Sounders have the Tacoma Defiance, as you can see, and this nice list below, like, where are we? Right here, right? Um, as well as the semi-pro teams that play here, like Ballard FC, uh, Everett Silvertips, the Seattle Thunderbirds. I know there's some rivalry there, but still, this is what we're going to be doing. Uh, you're going to want to follow us as you see the tagline that's going across and come back here. But the, the point of CSS Futures was to follow the affiliates and see players make their way up through things like the farm system for the Mariners, right? Watching a guy like Julio Rodriguez go up. I'm really excited to see a guy like Harry Ford make his way 
through the system. You know, obviously, it's exciting to think about Bryce, uh, Bryce, I believe it's Bryce Miller with the Mariners, Emerson Hancock. One of those guys could fill out as the fifth starter for the Mariners. You look at the Coachella Valley Firebirds, a guy like Riker Evans. It's really excited to see him maybe join the Kraken next season. Uh, we always we already posted today's uh, Kraken prospects uh, last week in review uh, to see what prospects totaled the most points over the past week. Uh, the Silver Tips and the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds are the number one team in the WHL Western Conference, and they have 10 NHL prospects on their roster. The Silver Tips, they're, uh, they're not having the best year, but they have a ton of talent on that team as well. Ballard MC was a ton of fun to watch last year, you know, to play in Inter Bay uh, in their inaugural season, make it to, I believe, a semifinal match in USL 2. Uh, the Defiance. You know, the two Sounders draft picks, for example, just signed on for the Defiance outside of a bunch of other things and stuff like that. So uh, you can see our list here of all the teams that we're going to be covering. You're going to want to follow us on those accounts. Uh, all of the – on Facebook, this is going to be Circling Channel Sports. On uh, our YouTube, it will be the same as well. We'll be posting videos on those teams as well for CSS Futures. But excited to announce that division. We have another division coming that we'll have sooner – rather than later, but just wanted to announce the announcement, well, the launch of CSS Futures, I apologize. You're gonna to wanna to follow those accounts on Twitter and Instagram to keep up with those. If you're a person that wants to keep up with the growth of those teams, uh, the growth of the, the minor league affiliates, whether it's that or the semi-pro teams and like the Thunderbirds and the Silver Tips and Ballard, um, or you do support CSS. So that'll wrap us up again. This is all you're asking why, why so much work in addition to eight pro teams or why I continue this coverage, you know, whether it's the major, major outlets or other folks who try to do what we do, you know, there's nobody doing what we do here at Circling Seattle Sports. We have so many great photographers, you know, Bill Garcia in her own right has grown excellently on the mic and as a writer, uh, We've got a bunch of other things coming. You know, I appreciate Cuddy uh, behind the camera. I know he's got stuff to do. We're going to try to get up here. But there's no one doing what we do. And I pound the table because it's frustrating to see that we still have to fight for that respect, you know, fighting for covering all these teams the same. You know, certain certain outlets say they're Seattle sports. They've changed their name to Seattle sports. They only cover two of them, primarily. It's BS. You claim that you want to, other outlets claim that they're pro Seattle of pro women's sports. They don't show up for the games like we do. They don't provide the coverage like we do. They're not on site. I don't have a car and I'm going out to training at Starfire. I was at Cheney Stadium in 2021 for these rain games. I'm going up to Everett for these Silvertips games and Aqua Sox and, and Kent for these uh, Thunderbirds games. You know, it's, there's, there's nobody doing what we do. And there's nobody that has that passion for these teams, that love for these teams. I love this team, man. You know, I love all of this. So anyways, uh, let's get out of here. You know, uh, make sure you have a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. It's been getting better out here. Don't fall for the fall spring. Do whatever you can to make today a great day. Curtis, let's get out of here.
continues. My, oh my. Rapino. 